the known universe with its heroes and marvels. But what of the darkness? In our modern world, this is where monsters dwell. Welcome back, Tomb Believers, to another episode of the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. My name, as I think you probably know by now, is James Hickson. And I'm Trey Lawson. <laughs> That's right, folks. It's, it's, it's those guys. It's those men again. Yeah. Uh, uh, so this is going to be a little bit of a different episode. Um, We've got... You know, big things done the pipe. So we decided to do a commentary episode. Something we've been, we've been threatening to do for a long time. Sure. And sure. and there were a lot of possibilities. There were a lot of titles that we threw around. Some true classics of the pre-MCU era of Marvel movies. Um, Some post-MCU era Marvel movies? That, that too. That too. Yeah. Um, we certainly have plenty more to, to pull from later on if... if we uh we get around to that. <laughs> yeah. Is this our first movie? Is this our first film commentary? Uh we did Morbius. Oh, that's right. Right. Sorry, I remember I memory hold that. Which actually kind of fitting that this is our next one. <laughs> <laughs> so from for those of you who didn't see the cover art or read the title on your podcatcher, uh we are doing a commentary for 1998's Blade. Right. A movie that I haven't watched in a while. Um, it, it, it may have I, been 20 I, years for me. It's been sooner than that. Because I definitely streamed it at some point during the pandemic, maybe early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was one of those things where I blew through the whole trilogy all at once. And so they all kind of blurred together for me. Yeah. This is one of those films that got a lot of play on cable when it came it out. It sure did. Yeah, it, it was surely uh, did. It was New Line Cinema and so um because Warner Brothers is over New Line, I I think uh TNT and TBS both got a lot of play out of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean like the movie channels. I think this is Stars. Oh sure. Almost certainly. Yeah, I remember yeah. I remember Back in the day, uh, when back in the day, you were on, <laughs> if you were on your channel guide on the cable box, it would play like trailers for stuff on the top section of the screen while you're scrolling. Yeah. Um, I remember the trailer for Blade just being on a loop for like a year. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this this movie gets a lot of credit um, for being, I guess, the start of the Marvel movie renaissance. It definitely well, one. It was it was a hit. It, it made a lot of money, which helped. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it uh, budget budgeted at forty five million. Box office, inter- like worldwide, was something like one hundred thirty one million. <laughs> okay, so big hit. 
Um, it set sort of the aesthetic for what superhero movies would look like in the early 2000s. Yeah, like the X-Men, which came out two years later, they they look very much a lot like Blade. Right. And even just the way sci-fi and fantasy action movies would look for the next 10, 15 years. I mean, so Blade is what? Uh, a year before the Matrix? That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, because the Matrix was 99. So probably oh, wow. so close, close enough that it's probably not a direct influence, but as we'll see when we watch it, there are several things that Blade gets to first before the Matrix would then get credit for them. Things yeah. like the black leather aesthetic, uh, the bullet time effects, things like that. That being said, we should probably go ahead and get into the film. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, Blade 1998, directed by Stephen Norrington, written by David S. Goyer. Um, running time about two hours, 120 minutes. Yep. And yep. Um, love the listeners. Uh, if you are listening along with us, go ahead and start the film now. And for those of you watching at home, we have the new line logo highlighted in beautiful red here. Yeah. New line cinema presents. Amon Ra. Isn't that like the mummy? <laughs> um. Doctors have very un sixties haircuts. Yes, yes. They're they're not really working too hard to set the, the time period here. Uh but that aside, this is more or less accurate to uh the origin from the comics. Hmm. There's our star, Wesley Snipes. Steven Dorf. Yeah, that's not, not to be confused with Dorf does golfing. <laughs> yeah, it would be a much different series of videos if it was Steven Dorf. <laughs> this would be a very different blade film if it, it was that Dorf. Right. Donald Loge. We'll see yeah. him in a little bit, but uh he's one of those he's one of those character actors. Yeah, yeah, he's been around forever. Uh, I think the first thing I saw him in was uh, Sneakers, the Robert Redford movie. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got a small part in that. Of course, went on to be uh, Jim Gordon on uh, Gotham. No, he wasn't Jim Gordon. 
Oh no, you're right. You're right. Uh, he, he 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 was um, Harvey. Harvey Bullock, right? You're right. You're right. He was Harvey Bullock. Yes. I like if, this anybody, if anybody knows anything about Blade, it's this opening sequence here. Yes. Yes, this iconic opening scene. Which, you know, the 90s were very rave heavy. Especially like 1996 to say 2001. Yeah, there's Baby Spice. Not actual Baby yeah. Spice, but you know. <laughs> Who thought it'd be a good idea to put Don- Donald Luge in like the fishnet shirt? <laughs> <laughs> I the bet he didn't think that. Shirt. No, probably not. Doesn't seem his style. Ah, uh, yes. Generic techno. The music of our generation. <laughs> I keep waiting for, at some point, the music to cut out long enough for someone to shout, Mortal Kombat! <laughs> oh, that's all this this all that scene is missing. <laughs> God, I hate that beanie. Oh yeah. The, the, the late nineties was a there's dark one extra. Children. There's one extra in like a white t shirt and wraparound sunglasses who is working way too hard. And you know for this there's actually no actual music in the actual shoot. Right. <laughs> right. So they're all just moving around. There's the dwarf, the dwarf man. <laughs> there we go. Marv Wolfman and Gene Cole. And everybody give them a big round of applause. Yep, 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 yep. Oh. Nothing in this film remotely resembles David what they Goyer. did in Tomb of Dracula, but. I realize now that they, they sink this, the blood shower starting with him saying, I need a drink. Yes. Yes. There it is. The famous blood bath or blood shower scene. Yeah. Which now I can't help but think of the, uh, the season of what we do in the shadows where they try to open a club that has uh, a blood shower. (laughs) Apparently it's a plumbing nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine it would be. So did they do all of this just to get this one victim or are there others that we're not seeing? Like, did she just bring him along like, like a, you know, a, a potluck thing? 
Right, right. I thought this was a potluck. Here we and have here our, our hero desserts. shot. Yep. Howie, does he not have any blood on him? So he, he actually had an umbrella that he dropped just out of uh, view of the camera. Like a little parasol. Yeah. They have blood on them. They do. But Donald Lowe doesn't have blood on him either. So, you know. That's our and first reference. That's our first reference to him being a daywalker. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it does bear mentioning that this version of Blade really owes as much to Spider-Man the animated series as it does to anything in the comics. Oh yes. Um because it was in Spider-Man the animated series that Blade really was depicted as kind of the, the Dompier style half vampire with special powers. Yeah. Which is just so weird because they couldn't really show much of, you know, vampires at a Saturday morning cartoon. Right. Right. Um, they all had to crave plasma. Mm-hmm. You've got that early nineties CGI of the vampires disappearing. Yep, yep. Um, this and and Buffy the Vampire Slayer both pulled that trick. Well, otherwise you just have bodies bump bodies bump bodies. Right. And like, you know, dudes with fangs show up in the coroner's office. They're doing a lot to portray Blade here as kind of the the Ronin type lone samurai. You know yeah, what the love that. Oh yeah, um, but the the way he uh, draws the sword and and sort of gets into position, it's all very much out of like a classic samurai movie. Yeah. Are we have we have we gone into crawl all of a sudden? I was about to say best use of a glaive since crawl. <laughs> Although this movie does not have Liam Neeson weirdly in the background of a bunch of scenes. That oh my god. The the fist pump? <laughs> yes, the fist pump. What is this home alone? We also get 
as sort of as appropriate for a post Batman superhero movie, the the idea that he's a vigilante that that if the cops acknowledge him at all, it's as someone who is dangerous and uh, should be treated as a criminal himself. You almost heard the Batman theme as the trench coat disappeared over the edge there. Oh, sure. Yeah. Although as a vampire, it's only still warm because it was set on fire. Mm-hmm. Apparently this role was meant for a white actress, but Wesley Snipes campaigned hard to have a African-American woman cast. That's good. I, I think it, I, I I think it works best as as filmed. Yeah. Of course, in the early days of, of New Line doing a Blade movie, apparently they went to David S. Goyer and asked if asked if Blade could be white. Oh wow. David S. Goyer, the screenwriter who famously hates superhero movies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kind of a mixed record, I would say, in terms of his own output. Uh, This is David S. Goyer, who notably wrote the script for the Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV movie. Wow. And while we've got a a bit of a, a lull here in the action uh there's just a little bit of production history here development of a blade movie goes all the way back to the mid to late 80s when uh new world pictures owned marvel briefly um they wanted to make a blade movie set in mexico as kind of a modern western with richard roundtree as blade i don't hate that uh then in the early 90s Marvel tried to develop it with uh, LL Cool J in the lead role. And then finally it landed at New Line where uh, uh, Wesley Snipes campaigned hard for the role, having previously tried to get a Black Panther movie off the ground. The look of the charred vampire here very much reminds me of the Catherine Bigelow movie Near Dark. Okay. Apparently. I do like that we're kind of resisting I mean, the scene with the, during the running and stuff. 
Yeah, we're, we're sort of resisting showing too much of what Blade is or what his powers, if any, might be. At this point, he could still just be a guy. Apparently, Donald Loge, um, during this whole running through the hospital scene, um, dislocated his jaw. Oh. From a previous injury. From a previous injury, he, he fell during this scene and dislocated his jaw again. Redislocated, I guess. But they had to take him to the hospital in that full burn, body burn makeup. I believe I can fly. (laughs) Now they shoot. At the door is shimmying. So there is speculation this film takes place in New Orleans. Okay. They're never quite clear on what city this is. Yeah, it's just sort of generic American city for a lot of it. But at some point, someone is holding a map and it's a map of New Orleans. Interesting. That feels very appropriate for a vampire action movie that came out in the, in the same 90s. decade uh, in the same decade as Interview with the Vampire. Yes, and notably in the late '90s, the Candyman series relocated to uh, New Orleans. Like that, that seemed to be a trend in horror featuring black protagonists was to set it in New Orleans. And also with vampires. Which makes sense. It's an urban setting, but it's also got this weird, creepy, gothic vibe with the above-ground cemeteries and everything. Here's Abraham Whistler, played by Chris Christopherson, yep. uh, a character created for the movie, but Marvel liked him so much that they introduced him first in Spider-Man, the animated series. So do we know how long the movie had been in development prior to Blade's appearance in the cartoon? Um, At least a couple years. Uh, well, I mean, so... It was in development at least a couple of years prior to when it eventually was released. The episode of the cartoon was November 1995. Um, So there was at least a treatment at that point that had Whistler in it. Okay. Because Marvel liked the character in in the treatment and 
put him in the show, which led to New Line actually threatening legal action against Marvel because they argued that Marvel didn't own the character of Abraham Whistler because he was created by a screenwriter for the movie. Interesting. Like it, that he didn't fall under the work for hire deal that a comics creator would would have. And a proud tradition of Harley Quinn and Phil Coulson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, Chris Christopherson plays the role. Uh, the first choice was actually uh, Patrick McGowan. Oh, that would have been very different. Because the director of the movie was a fan of The Prisoner. I mean, who isn't? <laughs> uh, John Voight was considered for the role as well. Um, and so Chris Christopherson was really sort of third choice. But he ends up being one of the best parts of the Blade franchise. Yeah. And this is around a time where he, his career is really doing a comeback. Yeah. 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 He had sort of his heyday in the, the 70s and 80s. And by the mid-90s, it sort of, if not dropped off, plateaued a little bit. And uh, the the vampire elder there is Udo Kier, a famous German actor who notably played Dracula in uh, Blood for Dracula, the Andy Warhol-produced 3D movie from the 70s. Here has sort of a history of, of roles in vampire movies. He, in addition to Blood for Dracula, he was in Shadow of the Vampire after this in 2000. Um, he was in the sci-fi vampire movie Dracula 3000, and he appeared in Blood Rain. Harry Potter cross over there. Yeah. Um, Deacon Frost is very different here from his comics version. Um, the, the similarity is that he is not a conventional vampire in uh, the way that the, the other elders are, but it's not just that he's someone who was turned in the comics. He's more of a science experiment like Morbius. He is injected with a serum made from vampire blood, which gives him 
it turns him into a vampire, but not in in the same manner as uh, other vampires. Uh, to that end, in the comics, one of his abilities is to create a doppelganger of anyone that he bites, and that doppelganger is under his total mental control. Sort of a weird power, but I'm kind of glad that they cared over here. Yeah, yeah. Here they 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 use Frost more to communicate something about the 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 social stratification of the vampire society, I guess. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is something that's not so much in the sequels that it's not just blade and Whistler, but there does seem to be sort of this network of contacts that blade has. Right. I don't think like, I feel like there's backstory here that doesn't get explored. If it does get explored, I don't remember it. Mind you, yeah. like I said, it's been 20 years since I've seen this movie. So Sure. <laughs> It does accomplish the the objective of making the world feel broader than maybe it would otherwise. Right, right. And and Goyer, who wrote the movie, says that from the beginning he wanted it to be uh, a trilogy. And so it makes sense there'd be some world building that doesn't necessarily pay off in this movie. It's just it, it sounds like. Goyer maybe had less control over the second one, and by the third one he was directing, but he was having to piggyback off of what Guillermo del Toro had done previously. And so it sounds like some things dropped by the wayside as the series went on. Mm Mm-hmm. That is a neat trick with the uh, the hilt of the sword having a booby trap in it. Yeah. This is also something that's very much not from the original comics, but I think did get adapted later, is this idea that Blade sort of medically suppresses the worst of his vampire impulses. 
I mean, the character in the comics basically becomes the the movie character after this movie. Sure. Much yeah. much like, you know, say Tony Stark has become the MCU Tony Stark. Yeah. Well, and even uh maybe didn't take didn't last quite as long, but even post two thousand, the the Grant Morrison X Men run gave them all matching black leather jackets and went to a more uh sort of contemporary look for that book. Yeah. I'm glad it didn't last that long. I'm glad to have colorful costumes back. I, me too. Me too. Although I, I like the new X-Men run a lot, but yeah, the the black leather was never my favorite. It's a very dangerous thing to do. Really so. I always like that to sort of ground a supernatural thing by giving it a Latin scientific name. Yes. Hominus Nocturna. Homo Superior. Right, right. It's still heavy because it's a car battery with a flashlight mounted on the end of it. Sam and Dean. And even as the look of everything has been made very modern, very contemporary, I feel like Blade's car is sort of a deliberate throwback. Like it looks like something that wouldn't be out of place in like like a 70s movie like Shaft or something. And you see that with a few other cars that we've seen on the street already. That they right. kind of the throwback say like this is a timeless film. Yeah, it's doing something sort of like what Tim Burton's Batman did, except whereas Tim Burton's Batman was timeless by throwing back to a pulpy 1940s look, here mm-hmm. it's throwing back to sort of 60s, 70s in terms of yeah. the, the car design. Wait, am I a vampire? Because I'm just thirsty all the time. 
because I mean, hydration is very important. Right, right. As I t- as I take a big gulp of water, as I open mine. <laughs> I do like how in the daylight scenes, the light is always harsh. Like it makes the daytime scenes feel uncomfortable in a way that kind of puts you in Blade and the Doctor's sort of point of view. That is nice. I love that he's not actually doing any research. Right. He's he's, sitting on the floor. He's kind of musking it, right? Like he's just running it through an algorithm or something. Yes. Chat GBT. Can you translate this dead language, this dead vampire (laughs) language for me? Right. I like, how st- <laughs> I like how Stephen Dorff's approach to vampirism is basically to kind of lean into the 90s stereotypes a little bit. Like the hairstyle, the, the costuming, like he, he's kind of like the hot 90s vampire who's a little bit creepy. Whereas everyone else is very buttoned down in suits and ties and stuff. She should really like put on a scarf or something. Those two wounds on her neck are really conspicuous. Really conspicuous. I don't think consider if vampires just get little tattoos like that. So I think the tattoos mark familiars. Hmm. Okay. Um, since it's daytime, it would be familiars. That's right.
pulling a Joey on her. Yep. Sorry, listeners. There's just nothing to comment on here. Right. This is a very sort of dead part. She, she's packing her clothes. Uh, for what it's worth, yeah. we're at uh, 35 minutes, 35 seconds. Yeah. That is a very nice bit where Blade just pops in out of nowhere. This kind of reminds me of the Michael Keaton scene. He's like, if you want to get nuts, let's get nuts scene in the apartment. Yes, very much so. Blade's just trashing her apartment. Yeah. And this movie does a very good job of blending exposition into the action so that it never feels like it's stopping cold to explain a bunch of stuff. And it is a nice touch that Blade pickpockets his victims. And nobody seems to care that a dude carrying a sword and a gun 
is just beating up on a cop in the middle of the day. Exactly. I'm like, I'm sorry, this doesn't seem like that kind of neighborhood. Note, all the cars here are, like, very 70s cars. Yep, yep. Because he is, in fact, that stupid. We've just got all of the late 90s hits here. We've got uh, fast motion uh, camera work. Uh, earlier, we had a bit of a time-lapse shot. And... That's a trailer moment right there. Yep. (laughs) Three for a buck. (laughs) I feel like this bit was also shot to be cut into a trailer because he's basically recapping exposition that we've already gotten. We know all of that about crosses and sunlight and garlic. Because Whistler told us. Again, extremely 90s scene. Yep, yep.
I'll say the one thing that sort of marks the 90s comic bookness of this is all of the buckles on Blade's vest kind of look like something from 90s Image or Marvel. What is that chef cooking? And who would it be for? Exactly. Asian cuisine has a lot of garlic in it. I'm so, that's all I'm saying. Yep. Yep. I do love things like fridges, like revealing secret doors and stuff. Yes. There's that that horror film. Not horror. It's not a horror film per se. That is that Christmas movie that Joe Bob watched that one time, where the kid like has secret tunnels throughout his house, and one of them oh, just yeah, goes yeah, out yeah. for a fridge. Yeah. Uh, dial there, code Santa Claus or whatever. There you go. I liked that one so much. I bought the 4K. Of course you did. <laughs> it takes very little for you to buy the 4K tray. If it I don't was have out the there, 4K you... of Blade. Is there a 4K of Blade? I should I look just... and see if there's a 4K of Blade. Listeners, this is where we now place bets over will Trey own the 4K of Blade by the end of this episode? <laughs> is this where Internet Archive is, is, is located? <laughs> there is a 4K of Ducks. Shout out to our friend Thomas Malik. <laughs> Would be something if there were vampire ducks. I guarantee you could find vampire ducks online, like little rubber ducks. <laughs> well, there was what, Count-, Count Ducula. Count Ducula, he was vegetarian. Yep. Of course, this is like early, like late 1990s computer translation. Yeah. Yeah, the computer graphics in this are not too far removed from what you'd see in, like, the the original cast Star Trek movies and stuff.
I do like how Deacon's followers all seem to be varying degrees of, like, strung out. Reminding me a little bit of John Leguizamo as the clown in Spawn. Yeah. It's just nice to have a character in these films I can cosplay, you know? <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> oh. Wait, wasn't that a Norman Osborn thing? Probably. The 12. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That is not, not how hard drives work. No, not. Not even back then was that how hard drives worked. No. Like you have probably just corrupted that drive horribly. Mandatory 90 some explosion. Yep. Like, guys, you have no idea how restrained this movie was for a 90s action film. If you, it really is. I'm watching it now. There's a lot of sort of space between the action sequences. Yes. It's also very heavy on the, like, lore and and world building. 
I forgot all about this scene. Yeah, I, I remembered the the pages of the Vampire Bible. We get some martial arts action. Yep. Which it is, I guess it's at this interesting moment between sort of John Woo starting to be a big deal and the Matrix hitting just after this. Apparently Jet Li was an early consideration for um, Deacon Frost. Interesting. I could see that. Donald Loge is really kind of having fun choosing chewing the scenery here. Apparently it was originally a much smaller role. But they liked him so much that it Decided to bring them back oh, after the initial scene. That's a nice goopy effect, the hand exploding. Yeah. Yeah, punch him right in the bulletproof body armor. Yep. I think he's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he's in any danger of him passing out anytime soon. It's also very 90s for the protagonist having an earpiece being a twist. Yes. When, like, now you would just assume that if a hero has a guy in a chair, then he's going to be on comms. Yes. Generic vampire henchmen are generic. Yes. I mean, I feel like half those guys are familiars. Probably. Warning, driver the streams. I mean, better get over that, Chris, because there's two more of these movies coming up. <laughs> yeah. 
I feel like the wheelchair thing is a reference to Quincy Harker, though. Probably. Probably. I do wonder if some version of the script was Whistler supposed to be Quincy Harker. I could see it starting that way. But once you once you add someone like Quincy Harker, then you kind of have to connect things to Dracula. And I think that's probably why they didn't. Yeah. Because they didn't want to drop the big D, the, the big D name in the middle of the movie, because everybody then is like, oh, where's Dracula? Right, right. And of course, we get Dracula in the third film. Sort of. Sort of, yes. We get a very early 2000s Dracula in the, in the third film. Right. Um. Ah, see, like, I keep on thinking that scene's in other movies. <laughs> the using a train to grind his face off. Right. Well, I just just look at my shoulder for one fucking thing. Yeah. Um, although I will say, so by the third movie, when Dracula does show up, we get, we also get Whistler having a daughter. And that relationship is sort of the, the Quincy Harker, Rachel Van Helsing relationship. Yes. Of course, there's all a bunch of other stories around the third movie, and especially like Luke Wesley's types. Yeah, if you've never read it, read Patton Oswalt's reflections on being on that set, (laughs) because they're pretty great. (laughs) Yeah. We are 58 minutes in, and we're just now sort of getting what the deal is with Blade. He's talking about Blade or Keith Richards. (laughs) 
once. No pun intended. I feel like if this movie had been made 10 years later, uh, Whistler would have been Jeff Bridges. Oh, yeah. Because in the 2000s, Jeff Bridges kind of evolved into Chris Christopherson with some of the edges sanded off. Yes, absolutely. Consider 10 years later... Uh, Jeff Bridges is um, Obadiah Stane. Yeah, yeah, Iron Man. But also things like True Grit, like his role in that feels a little bit like Whistler. Yeah. I like the touch of the vampire biting his stump. That's a weird transition there. It's a very odd. Like it feels like there's something missing. Yeah, is that Donald Lush and him kissing here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure someone's written that fanfic. Oh, certainly. Donald Lush and Deacon Frost, Donald Lush and Blade. Just Donald Lush and everybody in the film. This is also a very, like, 90s conceit to have the vampires put on sunscreen. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 
the filter they're using for this scene is is interesting choice. Yeah, it's sort of. I mean, I guess it's supposed to be sunrise, so it wouldn't be totally dark, but it is this very sort of blue for night filter. <laughs> kind of drains the color out of the scene. unorthodox dentistry right there. Yeah. Sun came up really fast. Really fast. More nice, goopy effects. Yep. The the flames are a little off, but, you know. I do wonder, it's one thing for Blade to be able to, like, sniff out vampires. That that kind of makes sense in a Wolverine-ish kind of way. But what exactly do vampires smell like that Whistler can be like, oh, yeah, that's a vampire? Yeah, my first thought's garlic, but that doesn't make any sense. Right. No, I, I guess something sort of decomposed or rotten, maybe? I don't know. Stale? Yeah. So now we've got Chekhov's exploding anticoagulant. Yep. Chekhov's cough.
not sure that blood's supposed to be like fizzy like that. <laughs> Maybe that's what uh, Daywalker blood is like. Mm. It's actually strawberry Fanta. <laughs> A lot of pieces in play here. Whistler is dying of cancer. She has one to two days left before becoming a vampire. Blade's cure is no longer helping. Plus the actual plot involving Deacon Frost. <laughs> hey, they said the name of the movie. <laughs> That was another very abrupt cut. Yes. Very 90s, very music video kind of cut. So apparently that child that Deacon Frost is holding hostage there. Mm-hmm is Disney Channel actress Brenda Song. Who is married to Macaulay Culkin. Yes. That is crazy. <laughs> uh, in a very early uncredited performance. Why should I worry? 
I mean, they missed the opportunity to make this a musical, man. It, yes. Although vampire musicals rarely work out well. There's some bullet time for you. Yep, there it is. Fly, Brenda Song, fly! <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Dance of the Vampires, Lestat, Dracula the Musical. Vampires and musicals rarely mix. This movie was made today. She'd be talking about CRISPR. That was way too easy for her. A little bit. Given that she's working without real hospital or laboratory facilities. Right. Like, we we introduce the peril, and then the next scene we see her in, we resolve the peril. Right. Right. And we know that it can't be that more time has passed because we've already been told she can only uh, she can only make it another day or two. finally figured it out the thing that that strikes me about deacon frost in this is he looks like he would have hung out with Kiefer sutherland and the lost boys <laughs> no higher compliment <laughs>
I'd forgotten about this moment. I knew Whistler died in the first movie, but then like came back in a later movie. Well, I don't know that they play fast and loose with whether he's actually dead. But yeah, it does seem like the intent in this first one was that Whistler's sacrifice is supposed to mean something. That is also a very 90s looking gun. Yeah, so spoilers, everyone, for movies that are very old, but it is notable that the that this movie does not show us Whistler die. There is the sound of yes. a gunshot. You see him drop the gun, and the sequels take full advantage of that. Yeah. This all also feels very sort of martial arts movie inspired. The cutting between him preparing and him sort of meditating.
Is this like a don't forget your roots sort of thing? I'm really not sure what's going on with this part. Or cut it off the root sort of thing, or. She's just running through all of the various social commentaries for vampire stories. <laughs> yep. So this much is like the Deacon Frost of the comics in that Deacon Frost has always aspired to be Lord of the Vampires. And so in Marvel comics, that usually means he's placing himself in opposition to Dracula. But again, they're afraid of using the big D on this one. So Right, right. Instead, we have the elder vampire who, of course, we see gets the gets the sunrise ceremony thing happen to him, right? I will say Blade's lobby sequence is far more no-nonsense than Neo's lobby sequence in The Matrix. Yes. I did not remember this movie being this long. It's two hours. We're at a uh, currently at the one hour, 24 minute mark, give or take. Yep. Um, this all feels very Terminator 2. Yep. Like that seems to be the source of inspiration for the way these action sequences are being shot in this part. 
the the cattle prods as weapon is weapons is sort of a nice visual touch. Before that was being done all the damn time. Yep. Kind of made him look like anger from the Inside Out movie. Yes, yes. Right before exploding in a shower of digital goop. Yeah. And here we have the big reveal. Yep. Which I'm she's there earlier in the film, but they they are very careful to not show her face too much. Mm-hmm. But they sort of cut away from her. Uh, fun fact, Blade's mother there, uh, Sana Lathan, is the voice of Catwoman on the Harley Quinn animated series. Oh.
I feel like if this film was made today, all of that between the reunion and this would have been cut out. Probably. Probably. And again, with some bad early, like late 90s CGI. Yep. Are we still in the same city? Like, why is there an ancient temple in? It's very odd. Very, very odd. Like, considering all of New the Orleans. elders we've seen are European. Right. Orson Welles of light over there. <laughs> But like Orson Welles played by David Harbour. <laughs> Ooh, I'd watch that. Right? <laughs> let's 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 write a project where Orson Welles has played by David Harbour. I don't I don't care about the context. Let's just do it. This is at his turn. Frozen Peas, the movie. There you go. This is very much a power move. Oh, sh- for sure. It, what I always mix up is I always think that Donald Loge is in Blade 2, but it's actually Norman Reedus that's in Blade 2. It's just they're basically the same guy. Wow. <laughs> he is in Ghost Rider. The yes, Nicolas yes. Cage Ghost Rider, which I imagine we will cover at some point. Oh, I, I would I'd say both of those movies are, are probably on the list. Yeah. This is the the typical we're not so different you and I villain monologue, right? Yeah.
it does feel like they cut a bunch of Deacon Frost lines in half to give the punchlines to Donal Loge. Yeah. This gives very much the mummy cue at um, Universal. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Just only thing missing is Brendan Fraser uh, demanding coffee. Yep. Again, where is all of this? <laughs> like if it's in Europe somewhere, that would make sense. Sure. But again, it's in America, or at least so we've been led to believe up to this point. Right. Right. We've not seen anyone like hopping on jets or anything. This guy's like failed vampire, right? Yeah, like he, seems like he didn't come out quite right. No, they they took him out of easy bake a little too early. Yeah, it's sort of like what's his name in American Werewolf in London, like popping up mm-hmm. as sort of a zombified creature every now and then. Like mm-hmm. it's not really the main monster of the movie, but it's just there to create some jump scares. Yeah. And I guess he's resolved. Yeah. It looks like they have a giant creepy crawler mold like to make like <laughs> little silicon blades oh man and they look all gummy too so you want to eat them but you know you, you know you shouldn't <laughs> eat them <laughs> probably filled with all kinds of toxins ah oh, but just so delicious looking <laughs>
So does the prophecy require that there be a Daywalker? Seems like it. Which is sort of weird, because he's not a thing that could be They've predicted. seen before, yeah. Yeah. If there's like a line establishing you're not, you know, you're not the first of your kind. Right, right. But they've definitely been like, treating him like he is. Yeah, like he's Daywalker capital D, as in singular, as opposed to a Daywalker, a thing we've encountered before. You figured they'd get him in, get them in position before this. Yeah, I mean, why start the clock early if you don't have to? Yeah. The blood in this sequence in particular has a very sort of bright red hammer horror vibe to it. I'm sure that was intentional. Mm -hmm. Just like I'm pretty sure it's intentional. She invoked baby spice. Probably. The spice girls were huge at this time. Mm hmm. Hey, storage. Hold on. Let me get a number. More time lapse. Yep. Again, for something I felt like was a time-sensitive thing. Right. In fact, that vampire is uh, played by Arlie Hover, a Spanish actress who also appeared in the movie Vampires Los Muertos, the sequel to John Carpenter's Vampires that starred John Bon Jovi. Wow. Man, even the blood CGI. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> digital liquid is hard. <laughs> I just feel like James Cameron would have just used like 
actual like not like blood like fake blood and just put it through a tube mm-hmm. that's all they had to do of course you know how james they, james cameron loves his liquid right right i was thinking about the abyss so if it was a james cameron movie the entire temple would be underwater that'd be cool it would be cool actually <laughs> Blade fighting a vampire shark. Oh, man. Namor shows up. See, it would actually okay, make now, sense if the, now the I'm wondering if like Blade underwater. and Namor have ever teamed up. It's kind of a funny, whether intentional or not, bookend that the movie uh, in its opening act and its third act has blood raining on people. Oh, yeah. That shot was used a lot when they were promoting stars with him with the arms outstretched looking up. Yeah. Yep. Also, that's just not how liquid moves. No. Like, if this was New Orleans and they tried to do, like tie it into like Aztecs or something like that, uh-huh. that'd be kind of cool. Sure. But again, I'd want it to be underwater because now you've right. got me thinking about freaking sharks. Right. Also, it's a little later, but that's basically what uh, From Dust Till Dawn does, right? Is ties it into ancient Hispanic cultures. Oh man, that'd be cool. Yeah, make make Frost Hispanic. That'd be good. It's also weird that the blood just makes skin contact instead of like him having to drink it or anything. Mm-hmm. And of I course, feel like that should be part scene. of the that should be part of the challenge of the ritual is he has to catch the blood in his mouth. Yeah. Here they're taking the lightning effect, hitting people in the heads from um, Batman Forever. Yep. Which was what two or three years earlier. Yeah.
Yeah, I feel like with the design of the temple and everything, it should be, I don't know, Egyptian or Hispanic or, or something. It feels very generic the way they've done it here. And this is very edible, the way they're doing this. Oh, my. Oh, wow. I forgot that. <laughs> oh, man. I, I I don't know. The the effect is bad, but I really love the, the look of the skeletons climbing out of their mouths as they explode. The skeletons climbing out of their skeletons. Yes. It's, it's not their skeletons that are escaping. No, no, no. It's, a, it's, it's right. <laughs> These are like ghost skeletons. With bat wings. And Donald Loge is the only one with some sense. Took her longer. Yep. Because drama. They timed the music cue to Blade catching the sunglasses. That's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, what did this director do prior to this? Let me look. I'm sure music videos. So it's Stephen Norrington. Stephen Norrington. um, Stern is an effects artist, actually. He worked on Aliens and Split Second... Uh, he made the 90s movie Death Machine with Brad Dourif. Uh He did Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen after this. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, he's been attached to a bunch of stuff that either hasn't happened or has ended up happening with other people. Um, Norrington was supposed to direct Ghost Rider before it went to a different studio. He was supposed to direct the remake of Clash of the Titans before that went to a different director. Uh, He was supposed to reboot The Crow. Um, That version didn't happen. Um, He was supposed to do a Shang-Chi movie in the early 2000s. That also didn't happen. Yeah, it looks like he didn't really direct anything after League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen kind of put him in director jail, I think. Yeah.
I'm sorry. The them just kicking air is kind of funny. Yeah. Apparently, uh, during the making of Leader or Trainer Gentleman, he tried to fist fight Sean Connery. I could see that. Why exactly did those guys die? Because it looked like he just punched them. He waved his sword around first. So yeah. Okay. So this sequence was heavily reshot. Um, the original climactic fight is on the DVD as a, a special feature. Uh, Deacon Frost originally turned into La Magra as a swirling mass of blood that flew around the room and, and attacked. Um, well, I'm glad that's the CGI, not there anymore. The CGI is really bad. That's why they cut it, was they just couldn't get it to look right. What is it with, like, early 2000s superhero movies and a need to have the, the hero fight a giant swirling CGI cloud? Yep. Yep. I like that. That that shot's fun. Yes. This is actually a better use of the CGI that they can do is by just having him yes. remold himself like the T1000 in Terminator 2. Yes. That's actually a very clever moment. I like that. I like using the the sword in an unconventional way. Yeah. And I like the 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 the, the conceit that the the exploding serum is a, a new enough part of his arsenal that Frost doesn't know about it. Right, right. He's misreading the situation. Yes. It's a little bit like He said the thing. He said the thing. He had to kick it into him. He had to kick it into him. I'm not mad about it, though. It looked cool. Some very 90s morph effects there. Uh, while I'm on the subject of things cut or changed from the movie, uh, there's also a deleted scene from much earlier uh, where Stan Lee had a cameo. 
Aww. Was he a um, vampire? He was originally with the cops that show up uh, in that first opening fight. Nice. Uh, there's the line that Donald Loge's character was still screaming when they found him. There actually was a scene with him still screaming, and Stan Lee is there. Okay. Again, where are they? America? America. America. Ancient temples hidden beneath. (laughs) They are in Metropolitan Cityville, USA. Yeah. We're like the, were the vampires here before the, before like the pilgrims? Right. Like, was that the first colonization was vampires traveling the world? Yeah. I guess before the French. Oh, but you uh-huh. can tell us it's Moscow. Thanks a lot. Oh, right. Well, cause it's snowy and it's got the, the, the onion, onion dumps, dumps. Yeah. Yeah. And this scene also is a reshoot. It's not the original ending. So the the original final scene featured uh, not named as such, but Michael Morbius appearing um, with the character being with the character being played by Stephen Norrington, the director. uh, With the intention to recast, should it be picked up in a sequel? Wow. Okay. Um, You don't really see his face all that well. He's sort of covered. But um, but yeah. That was Blade, 1998, the origins of modern Marvel movies as we know them. Yeah, um, kind of responsible for, I mean, without this movie, we would have had the MCU. Uh, Sure. I don't think we would have gotten X-Men. This was a surprise hit. Yeah, I don't think anyone. Now, it's a surprise hit that also, at the time, a lot of people didn't realize was a comic book movie. Yeah, although we nerds were happy to tell them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, anyone who had watched Spider-Man the Animated Series was familiar with the episodes featuring Blade. Yeah, that's got a lot of play for some reason. Yeah, probably because this movie, actually, now that I think about it. Probably. But we did Uh, not hesitate to tell people, you know, you, you know, you know, that's a Marvel movie, you know. Hey, he's a he's he's from a comic book. Yeah, and uh, of course, um, this being the late '90s, there was a lot of uh, sort of cross media stuff. Uh, there was a PlayStation game uh, with the movie version of Blade. There was a Game Boy game with Blade. Um, eventually, 
Uh, I think by the time the the three movies were out, uh, there was also a short-lived TV series that ran for maybe a season. Um, and most recently, in 2021, there was a one-shot called The Darkhold Blade, in which Blade is given a vision of an alternate reality by the Darkhold. Um, and that alternate reality is basically what if Deacon Frost had succeeded in becoming Lamagra. Oh, wow. Uh, that one shot was written by Daniel Kibblesmith, who uh, uh, we have spoken to. Yeah, we were on the. Uh, um, uh, um, that X-Men podcast with him. <laughs> I mean, uh, Gray Malkin Lane. Thank you. Jesus yes, Christ. Gray Malkin Lane. Yes. Um, yeah. And not as um, I, but I actually have that one shot. I'm it's, it's, it it's a pretty fun read. Episode Gray Market Lane. <laughs> so, I guess so, yeah, we, we were super grateful for this movie when we got it. In Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's fun. Yeah. It's, it, it holds up mostly. Uh, the action is solid. Um, there's not it's not so reliant on early CGI that it's sort of hard to watch the way that some action movies of the time could be. Mm -hmm. Um, the cast is very good. This is probably Wesley Snipes best performance as blade. Even though I think blade two is a better movie. I think Wesley Snipes is at his best in this first one. Hmm. I think part of that is he gets more control. He this this was huge for Wesley Snipes as well. I mean, he was already a star at right. this point, but this makes him kind of a superstar for a bit. It does, and and he does end up exercising more producer control and and sort of shifts the the mood of the the franchise into more of a generic action movie with a little bit less of the emotion and pathos and character stuff. That makes this movie work really well. Yeah. But yeah, that was 1998's Blade. The That's first right. of a trilogy. And as we stated, the first of the, the Marvel super superhero film Renaissance. That's right. And lovely listeners, we have loved having you along for this little um, viewing, as it were. Uh, if you'd like to see more viewings like this one, please let us know. You can reach us at our email. It's Gmail. Sorry, it's tomb of ideas at gmail.com. We're on social media uh, on uh, Blue Sky at tomb of ideas, Instagram at tomb of ideas. We're on lots of stuff at tomb of ideas. Please feel free to reach out to us. And of course, you can find the rest and of our back catalog. Uh, on cinepunks.com uh, that's cinepunks with an X you'll find our show going all the way back to the beginning including our other uh, audio commentaries such as Morbius the living vampire uh, and the pilot episode of uh, Hellstrom and you'll also find other great shows like Horror Business Carnage Report and much much more that's right and, you know, let us know, what did you think of Blade when it came out in 1998? Were you there or did you see it in theaters? Did you watch it on instant? 
like constant repeat on stars like me or <laughs> what was uh, it a blockbuster rental? Cause it definitely got a lot of play in the rental market too. Oh yeah. Blockbuster. Oh, it's a blockbuster night. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, have you recently revisited these films? Did you revisit it with us? Please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. That's and right. Do you want more commentaries like this one? Which movie should we talk, look at next? There's a lot of options out there. There's we, you know, and we've the rest. got our list of things we want to do, but we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I mean, there's the rest of the Blade movies, of course. There's that Dracula anime um, right. that's out and there, and the Frankenstein anime. That's right. Um, there's of course uh, Venom, right, and its and sequel, its sequel. Uh, Howard the Duck. Oh, uh, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, there's so. a man thing direct video movie. Yeah, there's uh, certainly plenty is. of options out there. So please let us know. And of course, lovely listeners, uh, until next time. Bye bye. Bye bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb members. Excelsior! <laughs>